both had the same sort of basic faith in the old man, along with a serene skepticism about most everything else. Mitchell knew how much money he had laid on Goldwater in 64, and then on the old man four years later, and naturally enough suspected there was a lot more left than there was. Hell, if Fred LaRue were still as rich as people thought, he would be living on the other side of this crazy, round, Italian-made apartment building, facing the courtyard or the Potomac, instead of Virginia Avenue and the blinking old Washington Monument. God knows there'd been plenty of money to inherit back in 57. Christ, that's not, you know, is it? Mitchell had once asked, in this very room, when he saw the elegant bird gun mounted on the wall. Nope, that was not the gun with which Fred LaRue had managed to shoot Daddy instead of a duck. It was the gun old Ike Parsons LaRue, worth thirty million dollars, had been holding when he dropped to the ground during their ill-fated hunting trip. Daddy had made his money fast, and his son was now losing it slowly. Back home in Mississippi, the oil and gas business was starting to sputter out. There were no more big strikes to be made, and the idea that Fred LaRue's being inside the White House would redound to the benefit of I.P. LaRue Oil and Minerals was just that, an idea, one that others, though not Fred LaRue himself, entertained. He preferred the business of politics to the business of business. He liked the way he got to operate without so much as a business card or a line in the staff directory, same at the committee as it had been at the White House. If this year he'd pretty much be giving at the office instead of from his wallet, the campaign was going to be such a slam dunk that nobody would even notice. Every day McGovern was finding something nice to say on behalf of amnesty or abortion, and all the while the troops kept coming home from Vietnam by the hundred thousand, thanks to the old man. The demonstration over at the Pentagon this afternoon had featured the usual moth-eaten old peaceniks, like that Ginny priest openly rooting for the Viet Cong. But the whole passel of them, he had seen them marching across Memorial Bridge, hadn't required a single canister of tear gas, or made it as far up the front page as Wallace's wiggly toes. The joke, of course, when it came to all these Wallace votes they were about to inherit— was that Mitchell had desegregated ten times more schools than Bobby Kennedy and Katzenbach and Ramsey Clark put together. Watch what we do, not what we say, Mitchell liked to whisper into the ears of the party moderates. But folks back home in Mississippi listened to the words, as if they were music. They'd soon fall in line behind the old man, whose administration, they scarcely realized, was putting all those colored kids at desks beside their own white offspring. With Wallace out of the way, there'd be less need for TV and radio spots and everything else down south, including nice old Minnie Pearl. Addy? They had the chance for a real blowout, and it was beyond LaRue why they were waiting so much as another week to shift the money they'd planned to spend down home out to California instead. They ought to make the switch before other operations, like the ones being run by that weirdo Liddy, started laying claim to it. Project Gemstone, my ass, thought LaRue, who looked up at the clock over the television and wondered if it was too late to call Mitchell at his apartment across the courtyard. Hell, he'd wait until he saw him at the office in the morning. Martha was so cranked up these days that if he called now, she'd probably not only listen in on the extension, but burst out with some tirade about her, 
the only name she seemed able to find these days for poor Mrs. Nixon. God, he'd loved Martha when he'd first met her in 68. She'd felt familiar, like the girls he'd known in Jackson and Biloxi, even if she came from all the way over in Arkansas. Pleased to meet you, he'd said when Mitchell presented her. Well, I hope you'll never la-rue it, honey, she'd responded, just like that. But she was beyond control now, drinking more than ever and wearing out John, who let her drink until she passed straight through agitation into something like calm, or until she just passed out, period. No, he'd wait until morning, when he'd also call his wife and children back home in Mississippi. He decided to skip the ten o'clock news which was mostly local anyway, and would probably lead with whatever colored guy had just killed another one over in southeast Washington. He'd go down to the People's Drugstore and